Sensei! Hello! You're listening to Achimowin on CJSR 88.5 FM, located in the city of Edmonton, which is on Treaty 6 territory, as well as Region 4 of the Métis Nation. This is a traditional gathering place for the Cree, Blackfoot, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and others to whom we pay our respects and thanks. My name is Shayna Giles, and I'm of Métis descent. My pronouns are they, them. Oh, hello there. I didn't hear you come in. Welcome to my workshop. I hope you don't mind, but I'm just whittling down this piece of juniper as I speak. This week on Achimowin, we've got something a bit different, as you might have already noticed. My time on Achimowin has been a really great experience, and it helped me to connect more with myself and my culture as a Métis person. I got to speak with so many people about so many interesting and important things, and it's really helped me to grow and be more confident in who I am. So for my last episode, I wanted to talk with someone about something else that's helped me to reconnect with myself and my culture. Woodworking. More specifically, wood carving and whittling. I'm not an expert, and I don't think it's something I'd make a career out of, but woodworking has been a way for me to connect with myself and my family and my culture. So today, our feature interview is all about woodworking. And after that, well, I'd like to take some time to reflect on my time on Achimowin. This week, I spoke with Peter Simchuk. Peter is a First Nations woodcarver out of Manitoba, and he's worked in Edmonton in the past. He's been carving for longer than I've been alive. He told me he started in 1998, and I wasn't born until December of that year. Peter does some absolutely fantastic carvings, which you can check out on his Facebook page, Carvings by Peter. And he makes these extremely detailed and realistic faces out of wood that are just ridiculously impressive. I managed to get a hold of him through an Edmonton woodworking group that we're both members of, and he agreed to speak with me through a Zoom call to help cross that interprovincial distance. We spoke about all sorts of things, including his background and upbringing, how he got into wood carving, his favorite projects and types of wood to work with, and his advice for beginners and amateurs like me. I asked him about his experiences, and he asked me about mine. It was a really nice conversation, and I was just having a blast the whole time because I finally had someone I could nerd out about woodworking with. It was, it was just great. So without further ado, let's get right into the interview. My full name is Peter Simchuk. I come from a family of uh, trappers and hunters, so I did a lot of that when I was younger. As I grew up and got older, I'm actually, uh, right now my, my job is to look after one of the hospitals in Lippin as the uh, director for Seven Oaks Hospital. It's one of the six hospitals in Winnipeg. My background is probably, I would have to say it's between uh, traditional and non-traditional. So I kind of grew up on both are basically both sides of the river, I'd have to say, to describe it. And it literally is that, because I'm originally from the Paw. I grew up on one side of the river and the, and the uh, reserve was on the other, but I had lots of good friends on one side and, and most of my uh, friends were non-Aboriginal. So it was a bit of a mix um, growing up, but um, I never really, uh, never really had uh, too much to do with the, 
with the Aboriginal culture as I got older, but when I was younger, I did. I spent a lot of time in the trap line and stuff like that, so I remember a lot of stuff. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a description of when I was really young. Um, my grandpa owned a dog team and used to take uh, me trapping with him. I was one of his favorites. He's one of the young, really young kids. And I remember riding in a sleigh and going to check all his traps and stuff like that. And we used to spend a lot of time camping. We spent, oh boy, I, all summer we were basically on the river or, or out in the lake or somewhere. Lots of hunting and fishing. I actually never really tried a, like an A&W burger or, or actually uh, domesticated meat until I was, I think, around 12, 13 years old. It was mostly moose. I grew up on moose meat and caribou, basically, <laughs> and fishing. Like, we did a lot of fishing. I ate fish until my head exploded. It was like fish in the morning, fish in lunchtime. And so I spent a lot of time with that, with eating fish. And now I have a hard time eating fish because I've eaten so much fish when I was younger. But um, yeah, so I remember all those days. And I remember some of the really good memories are just spending with my grandma. Like she was, she was a medicine woman that was really, really just a beautiful lady. But she used to really take care of me when I was out with my grandpa. My grandpa would, uh, he was really rough and gruff and, you know, check the traps and get stuff done. And let's go. And where my grandma was opposite. She was more of a caring, very quiet, but really respectful person. I think a lot of people really thought of a lot of her, even though I didn't know when I was younger until I got older that why she was and why people visited her and stuff like that. But she was, uh, she had a lot of medicines and stuff like that. I think when I got into my teenage and got into school, uh, into school and had a lot of friends, we didn't live in a reserve because uh, we were not from that reserve in the Paw. We were actually from Cumberland. It was uh, further west on the river, but we were, we grew up in the same river. Saskatchewan River is basically where OCN, there's a lot of reserves along that river from Alberta all the way to, to Manitoba. So we were, we were kind of staying on, uh, not on the reserve side. We were on the, uh, what we call the, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the proper terminology is. I, I never really thought about it actually until now, but yeah. So that's kind of how I started carving a lot of dime willow too. I don't know if you've seen some on the site, mm-hmm. but, but it, it's really, we grew up around dime willows everywhere where we were, and we used to cut it to make our tent. When we set up our tent, we used a dime willow. We used it for burning. We used it for setting up almost anything, really. It was a versatile and really strong wood, but that's how I started carving. My original carvings, I started with dime willow and kind of worked my way to bark and whatever I could find. I found a lot of times um, I'll go hunting for my wood. So along the Winnipeg River, um, up north on the other side of Lake Winnipeg or wherever. I go on these little jaunts by myself in the bush, call a moose once in a while or something, you know, something weird. <laughs> I guess mainly I'm I'm totally different now. I All my years of hunting and stuff are gone. Like I shot my first moose and our first winter meal was a, a I shot an older bull moose when I was 14. Really proud of it, but my dad wasn't very proud of it because he said it was an old bull and we we're gonna have to chew our meat really hard all winter. I didn't realize it was gonna be gonna be a problem with shooting an old bull, but anyway. So I haven't eaten wild meat since uh geez for quite a few years now. I'm still involved in the culture and in some ways, like I was part of uh Nag Games and also I was the chair for Manitoba for Aboriginal Sports for female hockey and other sports. 
I'm not as involved anymore, but I think I my my time, my age factor, my knees and going on the ice and stuff like that doesn't work anymore. My body doesn't doesn't work as I used to, you know, as it used to work where my knees are a big problem. So I think that's about it. I don't know. I've, I've done so many different things with the uh, with working with Aboriginal kids that I kind of I kind of forget everything in a way because I haven't done it for a while. But there is a lot. Most of my interview questions are kind of worded around woodworking because that's I didn't really have anybody to teach me woodworking it was something I very much had to teach myself so you mentioned a bit about hunting your own wood and and getting a dime willow yeah do you remember your very first experience working with wood yeah actually I do I used a piece of driftwood I still actually kept it that's probably about um, my very first piece kind of looks really kind of goofy but I kept it because it's the first thing I tried. I didn't really realize I was really uh, even a carver. And it was actually in 1998 I started. So what I did was I, I carved this piece of drift, driftwood I found on the lake. It's called Clearwater Lake in northern Manitoba by the Paw. And what I did was I picked up uh, this piece of driftwood and I simply took it to the shop and aboard my uh, father-in-law's tools and just started playing around with it. Oh, well, you know, I mean, this guy was hollering. He had an open mouth. He was missing teeth or whatever. So I kind of put that together and then I forgot all about it. I kind of just left it on on the table and um, it was actually family members father-in-law and a few others saw it sitting on the table and kind of shocked they said how did you do that and then I think what happened was I um, I thought nothing of it because to me it was just kind of looked really rough and but um, that's when I realized hey wait a minute this is pretty easy (laughs) easy in the way that I could picture it in my head and put it towards a piece of wood before that, I didn't realize I could do that. I know I could draw fairly well, but I never got really got it deeply into drawing. But um, yeah, that's how I started, just a piece of driftwood. And then I went to uh, Dime Willow, like I said, because I knew that wood really well, and there's all kinds of flow on wood and stuff like that. But when I started with Dime Willow, I realized Dime Willow doesn't grow in one direction. It grows in multiple directions, and it kind of crosses patterns. So when you're carving it, you have to have a really sharp knife. Like you're... you're um, tools have to be very sharp and with dime well you can go across the grains too so, so it gives a little bit if your tools are not sharp it'll rip a little bit and that's a really annoying thing or your mm-hmm. chisel will get caught and so i discovered that you do just you have to do it when you're carving you have to kind of do it on the layers and very small fine layers like it actually takes me a while to get um carving down because it's you know, by the time I start off with the bump on the nose and slowly work my way through the wood, it's just very thin layers. But that's a dime willow. But other woods, you don't have to do that. Like I've carved, tried basswood and butternut and uh, Honduras mahogany. And I, I like the harder woods better because they take more detail and you can do, actually do wrinkles around the eyes and, and you can actually make the eye really stand out more. Going to uh, my favorite wood, I probably would have to say butternut and... Uh, under some mahogany, and they're and they're both really hard to get now. At, at one time when I was uh, when I started getting that type of wood, I still have lots of lots in stock. Like I bought quite a bit of wood over the years. Um, my workshop is full of wood. I get a lot of basswoods. So if you're a basswood carver, let me know because <laughs> I don't use bat. I don't do the basswood anymore, but I've stocked it to the. I've got so much basswood, but I I don't use it anymore. I don't like it because it's too soft. I like the harder woods and uh, I don't like to use tools. Like I like to use my hands, so all my tools. I have a certain way of carving. I I learned on my own as you did. 
without getting taught anything. But one of the things I, uh, I avoided injury was I started carving using the wrist to cut um, the wood. Before that, I was pushing and uh, pulling and stuff like that. And I found that you're susceptible to injury, especially if you're going for a long time and you kind of get a little bit, you kind of lose a little bit of concentration. And that's when things will slip. But since I've been using my uh, wrist that way, I haven't had a cut cut myself. And I'm probably up to over, a th- I was going to say maybe 900, 1,000 carvings. Oh, wow. So, And the thing is, you got to keep in, uh, keep in mind that your focus is to always improve, so it's it's just almost the same thing as coaching. What I teach a lot of kids. I don't know if you read the. I can't remember what the book's called, but you know you need ten thousand hours of practice to become a pro at mm-hmm. anything you do. So every single carving I do, I think it is as practice. I don't think it. You know, okay, this will be my ultimate one. And I'll be done. It's more like okay, I'm gonna try my best. I'm gonna finish this one. And looking at it as a practice piece. I'm always looking at it as practice piece, you know, and then you learn techniques on how to do the eyes and how to do the nose. The face structure is really complicated. Like I could, I've done animals and it's easy, but the only thing is I wouldn't uh, do an animal for a person only because I can't get the essence of the animal. Like people have asked me to do their dog and I could do a dog, but I can't get the essence of the dog because I don't know the dog and I don't know what it is, but when they see it, they, oh, it's just a dog. Well, I don't know the character of your dog. I don't know your dog at all. So I go by the photo and it doesn't really capture the dog in my mind anyway. That's why I don't do portraits either. I've done a, tried a couple and just don't cap, capture the essence of that person. It's really hard to catch that part of it. It's all the little subtleties in the face and the eyes and the way they look and all that stuff. But I, I think, um, I feel like I'm getting better and better. Like some of my pieces have come out really nice and stuff like that, but it's really when I'm done, it's kind of, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Bunk, next. And I don't really, I don't really hang on. I did one really beautiful piece, and it was, it was really weird. I found a piece of dime willow tree that was about this round, and it twisted in a circle all the way up. So I, I carved faces on the, on, on the floor of the wood all the way down. So I think there was about, if I remember correctly, there was six faces on that, on that piece of wood, and I put it on the stone stand. I entered it into the Canadian Art Exhibition, and I ended up winning first place. So I didn't keep it. I gave it to. Uh, I didn't give it. I sold it to uh, Shell in Alberta. I think mm-hmm. they have it at their, at their head office. And that one was a really unique piece, and I didn't even take a picture of it. I wish I would have had a photo of it because I didn't. And now that's the time where I didn't really think too much of, you know, okay, it's kind of cool and everything, but it's not one of my favorite pieces, so I never really... I missed, oh, I had hundreds of photos of, of all the carvings I've done and sent out. I used to, when I started doing the bark, carving the bark, I don't know if you do bark at all. I mostly just peel it away. Oh, if you get, you, where you are, there would be a lot of cottonwood trees and cottonwood <laughs> bark. But I mean, it does peel away, but it does, it is really nice to carve once you get into the, you know, the surface is all, it rips easy peels off once you get into the meat of the bark and the thickness like some of them are probably about that thick i would say four inches thick but um when i got into that i found boy that's it's so it's crisp carving better than basswood and soft but kind of carves the same as like a a honduras mahogany cut in that but it's softer it's easier in the hands my workshop is full of carvings it's got carvings everywhere um i've got two shelves in front where i carve and they're full of carvings and my walls are full of carvings, but I don't really, I don't really do um, much for selling or going to shows or anything like that. I do it for a hobby and I do it for fun. I got a question for you. How long have you been carving? Oh, 
probably only for about five years now. I'm I'm still fairly young, but basically since yeah. I since I left high school. Okay. Yeah, I'm just curious because um, it's really hard to get young people to start carving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I did I did um, probably I think over three years before uh, the pandemic, I was teaching out of uh, the artist emporium in Winnipeg, and we had we had really good showing. Like there was every Every class is sold out. Like I took a maximum of about 12 people. If you go higher, even 10, I, I'm more comfortable with 10, then you can't go and do individual, show them, you know, techniques or whatever. But we did that with Bark and that was really popular, but I didn't have very many young people. It was mostly people that have been carving for a while, but it's nice to see younger people getting involved. What kind of, um, what kind of wood do you, do you use, may I ask? Uh, I started using just junk wood, whatever we could find, but um, okay. but we have a, I like to call it an overgrown juniper bush in our front yard that's grown oh, yeah. into a tree. And uh, last year, the year before, there was a big uh, thunder and lightning storm that came and it just ripped the lower part of the tree right off. So I took that out to the uh, the workshop and got rid of all the extra branches and let it dry for about six months and that's kind of what i like to work with now oh okay no that's nice it's got a lot of color in that wood eh? Mm -hmm. and it smells just fantastic yeah yeah i think i've uh, carved a few pieces like that in my time i've tried everything stone soapstone whatever right if it's if i can uh, if my tools will work on it i'll i'll go and try it. Some of the diamond willow I, I have in my shop is about 15 years old. It's been drying for 15 years, so it's pretty dry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're listening to a Chimowin on CJSR. I'm Shayna Giles, and I'm sitting down with Peter Simchuk, a First Nations woodcarver out of Manitoba, to talk about all things woodworking. When I started getting into woodworking, I kind of just did it as, oh, this is just something I can I can do with my hands. This is just something to keep busy. But at a certain point, I realized that it was something that helped me work through whatever I was dealing with at, at that moment. Have you had a similar experience with that? Yeah, it's I call it meditation. It's the same as meditating like I do. I can... Uh, for an example, I, the latest piece I was working on was just a piece, cleaning a piece of... Uh, a dime wool for a walking stick because I have all these pieces of dime wool for walking sticks underneath one of my shelving units that have been sitting there for years and I'm thinking I'm going to start cleaning these up and start and you know I didn't really want to put carvings on them because they have so much deep so much not detail so much um, character and I decided oh, I'm not going to throw a face on these I just want to follow the wood the natural curve of the wood and then clean it up and kind of really do it in a way that I don't end up uh, damaging it and just cleaning all the old bark off and and just, I guess, getting in the meter wood. But I did, um, I normally go to bed around 10, 11, getting earlier as I get older, but I ended up going till one o'clock and not realizing that four hours had passed by without even me noticing it. I had music in the background, but my whole concentration was on that wood piece. And I always said, if I'm feeling really lousy or not having a great day, I go into my carving shop and I carve and it adjusts my brain back to when I'm done, I'm happy because I've done some work. But there are times where it's really hard. The harder it is to go in and carve, the more you have to try. Because I've had where I haven't carved for like 
a month or two where I've had like really just crappy uh, depressive type of days or whatever. I'm like, I'm susceptible to depression too. Maybe that's why I, everything I do, I do it at um, like an addictive personality. I always have to be really good at when I'm, if I'm going to tackle something, I don't go there halfway. I go there full more. And that's probably why, you know, I'm in the situation I am as, as a director of a large hospital during COVID where we've, I've had so much stress in this building, but it was a long time to realize that if I'm in really a bad funk like that, I, I just push myself to carve. Even though if I'm not creative, even if I sit in there for 10 minutes, I'll be good. Like uh, it helps get your brain back to, to, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but um, it is like meditation. It's a form of meditation, I think. Anything you do like that, and I don't think I'll ever quit. The only thing that worries me is as I get older, my hands aren't as strong. I think that's just an age factor or whatever, because I, I like to rip into the wood. I use all my strength when I'm carving. It's a lot of fun. At, at, when I started woodworking, when I started uh, hand carving with tools, sort of in that meditative state, uh, I would just keep going until I couldn't move my hands anymore. But even after that, it, it, it did feel like I had accomplished something. I'd, I'd, I'd done something meaningful. I'd, I'd made physical change that I could see. And that was, that was very important. Yeah, no, that really works really well. And, you know, eventually you get to do some fun. Like I, I do other things, like, like I said, I'll carve anything. I actually go to a festival. It's um, a pumpkin uh, festival in a small town nearby. Mm-hmm. And they always have me there to demonstrate uh, carving. So I, I usually try to do at least two pumpkins and I'll do the, I'll take the surface of pumpkin out and then I'll create the face inside there. There's a lot of really good artists that do it. Like I'm not close to being like a professional, but still people are just amazed and they see this face or this monster with the big teeth and that's meditative too. And it's really nice too when you have the kids, you know, before the COVID, you'd have kids looking over your shoulder and just amazed at what they're watching you create. But that's um, meditative too. I wouldn't do that before. Like I don't like going to shows because I'm a very uh, private person. So I had... I did go to a few and I felt I was uncomfortable. So I started saying, uh, I don't want to do that anymore. I'd rather just go in my shop, my comfort zone place, um, my escape, my meditation. And uh, after I'm done, if I'm done late at night and I go to bed, I'm, I'm content. I think it's a healing, almost like a healing type of thing to do is really concentrate on something that you really want to get better at. So looking back on some of your past projects, which really stand out to you? Which have been your favorite? I've only had probably a couple. I think my favorite is when I look at the doing more of an Aboriginal type of face. And the reason why that is, is because it's easy for me. I, and I got a, like, it's, I got this weird thing where I can have four or five carvers, carvings going at the same time. And I could put one down and not look at it for three or four months totally forget it and then look at it and I'm going to carve this and remember exactly what I was going to carve three or four months ago, even though it doesn't, it's hard to explain, but when you pick up a carving that you haven't done for a while, but you still know exactly what you had intended to do with that carving, it's kind of neat. (laughs) This is more something I just want to know because I've made a lot of mistakes. Have you ever made a big mistake in a project? Yeah, I did when I first started. Now it's, I do a lot of layering now. I do it. I don't go deep into carvings and that. I do it very well in a way. It's just probably the same type of speed, but it's the layering part. I always follow, but I did it one time, but um, I'm really nitpicky. Like 
so I had a box of mistakes of uh, dime willow and stuff like that, that I was going to burn in the fire pit. And I used to have a couple people uh, come and visit me to watch me carve. And then one of the guys found out that I was throwing away, all, I was going to burn all my ones I didn't like in, in the fire pit, but he came back and said, oh my God, those are nice. How are you going to like, so I ended up going, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. If I don't like something, I'm going to set it aside. If I make a mistake on it, I'm going to set it aside and then get to it another time and say, oh, I could find, I could go deeper and find this guy instead of just chucking the woods. So my mistakes have really, have really disappeared. I think in the last three or 400 carvings, I've maybe had one or two that I didn't like, but I also, also put them aside and started you could go as deep as you want in the wood like it depends on how thick your pieces but for me i can rip a whole face off and then start and in deeper into the wood and sometimes it even looks better <laughs> as you go deeper into the wood and the idea is when you go around a face the more you dig around the more you pop the face out the better it looks even if it's a you know the detail of the eyes are a little crooked nobody nobody's perfect and as you get to carve hundreds of faces you look at people that you meet like i could pick people out on a if I was, if they said, we're trying to figure out uh, who this killer is, this is the five guys, and I'd go, that guy. But, you know, like, the mem- you get really sharp at picking up faces, and you, everybody's faces are different. Mm-hmm. And their eyes are either not perfect, their nose is twisted a bit, or whatever. And so when you do your carvings, you get it. When I do faces anyway, if it's a little bit crooked, one eye is a little bit bigger and not as open as the other, I'm, I don't panic, I go, oh. Because people don't really see that. Mm-hmm. They don't really see what you see. And what you're way more of a critic than anybody else to your own work. And one of the things, too, that I remember, anyway, that I, I learned is some of the ones I didn't like and I was really critical of turned out to be the, the most popular. And, you know, one thing I remember, too, I think in my mind, if I ever came to the point where I'm carving, you know, say in a couple of years where I hit one, I say, oh, that's perfect. That's it you know, that's going to be for me. Then I think I worry that the creativity will slowly say, hey, that's it. You reach your pinnacle, you're done. I thought of that a few times, but I don't think I'll ever get there because I'm really fussy and all my carvings when I'm done. And if I don't like some of them, I won't even, I kind of just glance at them like they're strangers in my shop that are on the wall. Other people like them, but to me, they're like kind of glance at them and go, oh, I didn't like that one. So you mentioned a bit earlier about the uh, the woodworking class you taught. Yeah. What was that experience like for you? It was really good. Um, I didn't realize that I was a good teacher and people would really enjoy themselves. And I even had a class of master carvers that came in and I, I was kind of intimidated. They're a club that actually are not far from where I live. And I thought, oh, great. I'm going to have a bunch of critics here today. <laughs> but anyway, when I went in there and after the class was over, they came to see me a lot of them and said, that was just fantastic. I learned so much. I didn't, you know, even though we carve all the time, we didn't know, like, I didn't know that you could do that or I didn't know that. So it, it turned out really good. And um, so eventually I like to do it again. It turns out I am kind of, I didn't realize that when it comes to car, like if I go in, on stage, I've done a few things. Like um, I did a convocation for Red River College in February before COVID a couple of years ago, um, just to let them talk to those. We've got a lot of Aboriginal population in, in Manitoba and there was a lot of Aboriginal kids at the college. And it was uh, 2,500 people with the kids and all the family. And I had to go up there and do, the, do that. 
and normally I would be freaking out. But I went up there and I was just talking about my life and where how I ended up getting to the point of where I am today and all the different uh, difficulties. And I kind of laid it out in a way that I said, okay, if I can go through this, all the stuff and get to where I am, it, anybody could do it. It's just, you have to be really uh, focused and you have to work really hard to get there. Yeah, my convocation speech was really personal and it just, you know, how I grew up indigenous, how it was hard to find a job because people are looking at you as, as a First Nations person, um, getting out of school, having struggling in school, and kind of a whole history. But it, it was all—it's all good. If you're doing something you love and uh, use it, you know, it's my meditation, and then I'm teaching it. It's easy. It's because I know what I'm kind of where I'm going and where I'm starting. I just describe how I start from, the, you know, how to form the face and everything. I even invented my own little. Um, uh, measuring device where you put it against the face and it, it actually measures the angle of the face and it's got the direction, you know, it's, it's kind of one, one template. You form the egg face as a shape and then you use the template to actually get the exact measurements of a face and it works really good. <laughs> I always think I should market that, but I don't have the energy to do that, but it's really neat. This is, this is something that maybe needs a bit of um, personal background. When I started woodworking it i i kind of just wanted to follow in my great grandpa's footsteps he was he was a wood carver he built our homestead by himself uh and so when i started i didn't i didn't know at first but it was a way of connecting me with my culture and so whenever i carve it feels like i'm connecting with my great grandpa even though i never met him does does carving to you connect you to your culture yeah, it does, actually. And it's kind of funny in a way. When I first started carving, I lived in a little town called Pinawan. It was by a, a lake of the woods and just a beautiful town. And that's kind of where I started getting really creative because I'd go for a walk along the river. And I know I know that in uh, in that area along, the, it's called the Ironwood Trail, I do have carvings on trees. Like I'd carve on a dead oak or whatever and put a face in there. But when I was carving in my house in the basement that had my wood carving shop, I had this really weird thing where I always thought somebody's watching me to the point where I started actually talking to somebody above my right or my uh, left shoulder. I don't know why my left, but there was always somebody there watching and I'd say, oh, what do you think so far? Just out of the blue, because it felt like I was actually talking to somebody. But I was thinking that um, in a way, it seems like uh, I feel like I'm connected to everything when I'm carving. And I, I know there wasn't carvers in in my family, but there was a lot of hunters and trappers and people that you know lived on the, live off the nature and stuff like that. So I kind of feel connected in that way. And yeah, I think I'm pretty sure somebody watches me carve. I don't really believe in ghosts or anything like that, but it's funny. It's it is a really weird feeling when you're when you think somebody's watching you. But I mean, for yeah, for you, it's pretty cool. You know, having that connection when you're carving, it's it's cool. Uh, when you when you mentioned the the sort of feeling like somebody is looking over your left shoulder, I kind of shivered a little bit because I get that as well. So oh, do you? Yeah. 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 I, at first, I just brushed it aside, but then I accepted it. Whatever it was was there, and I'm not going to say any. I can't really say it's not there because my all every sense in my body that there's somebody right here watching. I kind of just accept. It. And now I just will chat once in a while to somebody. 
whoever that is. But, uh, but I'll just say something out loud and I'll say, what do you think of the face so far? If somebody came into the carving shop and heard me talking like that, they'd probably think I was talking. <laughs> but it, it's just, just my way of feeling that there is actually somebody there. And I don't know whether it's my grandfather or, or, or what, but somebody's watching. Hey, you're still listening to Achimowin. I'm your summer host, Shana Giles, speaking with Peter Simchuk, a First Nations woodcarver out of Manitoba, about all things woodworking. Do you have any advice for me as like an amateur of what, what I should do, what I should not do? What are your top three things you, you tell people when they ask you about getting into woodworking? I don't know, measurement is, I always found that I used, did everything just without measuring, but now I'm measuring because it makes more sense. Now it makes it easier. I, I made it hard for myself over the years by not measuring, but now I measure. And, um, the other thing is get into a, into a groove of the way you want to carve. And like I described, holding, this is my way of carving now, it's using my wrist. I, not only to avoid hurting myself, but then it's been my natural way to carve even before I started carving. It's almost something I picked up and I actually looked it up after and it's an old method that they used thousands of years ago and well, maybe not thousands, hundreds of years ago on carving. So it's kind of a weird method that I picked up and found it really uh, natural. So concentrate on that. And then uh, the other one is I would say is never be satisfied with what you do and always try to improve it in some way, whether like for me, it's okay, I got to improve the nose. I want to improve the eyes. I want to improve whatever you carve. Each little piece Tackle one piece at a time. Don't get all tied up in the whole structure. One small section at a time. I started getting to the point where I was using like, okay, I'm going to concentrate on the eyes for me right now because eyes are really hard to do. And then after that, nose, I'll work on a nose. And lately I've been working on the mouth, the expressions and stuff like that. So it's always just tiny steps as you go along and find the wood that you like carving. Now, for me, I thought that you know, I'd find one wood. I did find, I did work with uh, butternut for a bit and with uh, Honduras mahogany, but those are really expensive woods and they're not really practical. But find something that you enjoy carving and share your work. Like I, I one of the things too, I'm giving way more than three of you. Absolutely. <laughs> but you know, one of the things I really like doing is, is making, like I'll make some trades with some artists that I really like their stuff and I'll say, do you want to trade for one of mine? And 90% of the time they'll say, yeah, hey, good idea. Or, you know, so I have a few works that I've traded for. I, th I think one of the things too, I was going to mention this when if you, if you are getting really good and you go to shows, you got to be, you got to have a thick skin because people say stupid things. <laughs> I had one where, you know, they were looking at one of my carvings and they said, oh, my, my son does this too. And his are pretty close. And I said, oh, okay, that's kind of cool. And then she said, well, he, he's turning 13 this year. And, you know, and then right away you think, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I'm as good so, as a 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in my mind, I, uh, to me, it's unless it's some sort of miracle carver, I can't see that. And there's people that look at your stuff and go, oh, I don't think it's worth it. You know, or, or say something really, really silly. That's why I don't do shows. I don't like people are really, they don't realize what they say and they don't, I'm pretty sure a lot of them don't mean it, but they don't realize it's, 
you know, first of all, do you want to accept being shot down or something like that or a rude comment? I'm not really into that. I just do it for fun and a hobby, and I don't really want to get into discussions with people. 90, 90%, 99% of the people are really good, but it's just the 1% that make it, make it crappy. It seems like everybody's carving and... I don't need to show myself. <laughs> I'm glad it's at home and I'm glad like I still sell lots. I probably out of all the pieces, I probably sold three quarters of them. Otherwise my shop would be just completely packed. I donated, I donated some, I've given some away and I stopped keeping count when I was at about 700 carvings years ago. So I, I don't know where I am now, but it's probably pretty high. I wouldn't be surprised if I've done a thousand carvings now. Is is carving something you'd want to pass on to others? Yeah, I do. Uh, actually, I have my grandson. He's six years old now. He started carving when he was four. So he's uh, one of his, his carvings is hung up on my wall uh, that he did when he was five years old. And he knows how to use the carving tools already. He knows how to use the carving style I showed him. Number one is always keep your hands out of the line of fire. Don't ever go towards your hand. Always keep it underneath. Keep your chisel up top. So if you do slip, it's going to be hitting air, not your hand. And how, yeah, how he holds the tools and all the safety. Line of fire is the big one. I teach that even at Artist Emporium to even experienced carvers or anybody. Just um, be really careful. You don't want to cut yourself. I've cut myself so bad. Uh, true story. I cut myself one time really bad when I was pushing against it, and I ended up going into my, under my thumb. But I. I missed all the ligaments. I got a pretty good scar on my hand. So I had it wrapped on a on a, um, a tea towel or something like that. And I was leaving my house to go to the emergency because I knew it had to be sewn up. It was really bad. And I ran into a bear in the backyard. In the back of my vehicle, I was looking. I didn't have any gas. So I went to the back to grab a Gary, jerry can. And I had enough gas. And oh, I don't know why I didn't fill up my van, but my kids were little. And I um, came around the corner. I thought it was my neighbor's dog because they own a big black lab. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. It was a bear. And then the bear, didn't, he just snorted and ran up at our oak tree. And I ran into the house. And I ended up going out there eventually. But I thought, geez, I went out there and there was blood everywhere. And this bear was really, so it's, it was really weird. But that was the worst injury I got was, uh, you know, the other time I'll probably cut myself more not carving, like doing dishes or something than I would actually carving because I'm concentrating all the time on my stuff. If I get tired, sometimes I'll nip myself and then I'll realize, okay, that's it. I'm done for the night. If I nick myself or or do something that, and then I think of it and, and I look at it and I go, whoa, that was stupid. I could have hurt myself. Then I quit. Then I say, okay, that's enough for the night. It means I'm not sharp anymore. So just you know, keep an eye on that part of it because even over four hours of carving, you do get a little bit, your concentration ebbs a little bit, and then next thing you know, you're, you've got a bleeding finger or something. Where can people find out more about you and your wood carvings? The only place I ever really post anything is on Facebook, and it's on, uh, and you simply have to just uh, type in carvings by Peter, and it'll take you to the page. And there's everything in there, all the different types of face carvings I've done, and and stuff like that. I, I, now I'm curious to see how your work um, comes along and what, what you're working on. Well then, uh, thank you very much for agreeing to speak with me a bit about woodworking and wood carving theater. Yeah, this was cool uh, to talk. I enjoyed it. 
so that was my interview with Peter. Big thanks to Peter Simchuk for agreeing to talk to me about all things woodworking, giving me some great advice, and for letting me nerd out about woodworking for about an hour. <laughs> I was surprised how much my woodworking experience matched with Peter's. How we're both self-taught, that feeling of being connected to the world around you, that feeling like there's somebody there with you as you carve. He gave me some great tips, including how to avoid injury and how to make clean designs through layering, which I had no idea of. And listening back to our conversation, it was a good chat, and one I'm happy with having as my last episode of a Chimowen. So since my time on the show is coming to an end, I wanted to sit down a little and reflect on that time over a piece of woodwork. I can already tell from how I'm speaking now to how I was when I made my first episode back in May that my confidence has really grown. Uh, this is the first show I've made entirely by myself. Well, not entirely. I was able to rely on my supervisor, Chris, to give good advice and meet up every week to talk about the next episode. But this was the first show where I did the interviews, the editing, the production, and recording, and I really wasn't sure I could do it all. I'm usually a very anxious person, and I felt like an outsider to my own culture in many ways. So when I started on a Chimowin, I was so worried about messing up and making a mistake that I was convinced I'd gotten myself in way over my head. I guess I didn't know how much of myself I was okay with giving, and I wasn't really comfortable with sharing much of anything about myself at first. I think I've really grown in that respect, and my time on a Chimowin was really what sparked that. Hearing from Cheyenne from the Edmonton Two-Spirit Society about their experiences with gender helped to affirm me in my own identity as a non-binary person. Speaking with Crystal Eddy about Métis traditional arts helped me to recognize that sometimes cultural connection can be as simple as making something with your own hands and connecting with your culture through shared experience. Working on the story about the St. John Baptist Church fire was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done so far in audio. And it really took me out of my comfort zone. But speaking with Brooks and hearing his accounts and his upbringing, I was reminded that my own upbringing shaped me. And I asked myself which parts of myself I wanted to allow to continue to shape me, and which parts I needed to move past and heal from. And speaking with Peter for this last episode reminded me of that growth. It reminded me that it's okay to start from nowhere as long as you keep moving forward and upward and you keep trying to improve yourself and your craft. That sometimes you'll want to whittle some things about yourself away like bark to start fresh beneath the surface, but bark is meant to protect the wood and sure you can get rid of it entirely but Sometimes it's enough to just peel it away where you'd like to see that growth. In the beginning, a Chimowin was so out of my comfort zone that it was like it had peeled a huge chunk of my bark away and left the wood underneath exposed. But over time, I realized I was better off without that defensive layer anyway. It's hard to see the wood grain underneath when you're too focused on the bark over top. And so, something I learned from a Chimowin is that sometimes I need to let that guard down to get out of that comfort zone a little. I don't need to keep my defenses against the world and all its uncertainties four inches thick at all times like the bark on a cottonwood tree, because then you can't see the person peeking out from underneath. 
So a woodworker's analogy, but one that I hope makes sense. I'd like to sincerely thank you all for listening to a Chimuan and sticking with me through this. It certainly sparked a lot of growth in me, and for the rest of the summer, I think I'd like to work on nurturing that growth and chipping away the rest of that bark wherever and whenever I can. So if you enjoyed a Chimuan, please give it another listen and share it with the people in your life. You can find it on Spotify, on SoundCloud in the CJSR if I'm a Chimuan playlist, on Stitcher and Google Podcasts, and on achimowin.transistor.fm. As always, our theme song is Come and Get Your Love by Redbone, and I've been your summer host, Shana Giles. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you have a fantastic, awesome, unparalleled day, week, and summer ahead. Bye.